space, final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. I bet. And this week, we're talking about a brand new Star Trek show. Um, how many is that in the last couple of years? One, two, three, fourth. Fourth new Star Trek show in yeah. the last few years. Not counting, um, what do you call it? We're not counting the short treks as a separate show. No. But, yeah. Yeah. Discovery, Lower Decks, Picard, and now Prodigy. Yeah, so brand new Star Trek it, to It's talk doing about. well to say that um, the fandom many say, well, blank that, it was all over after Discovery Season 1. Well, that's it, it's all finished, yeah, and what we got, Discovery, <coughs> Discovery Season 4 coming in in a couple of weeks, so that's not panned out, but never mind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Prodigy, the first Star Trek show aimed at children, it says, but... I think this is completely accessible to everybody. I, I think it's completely accessible, but you can tell it's written for a younger audience. Yeah, I but would it agree. Isn't, it isn't dumbed down too much, if you know. No. So, so everyone can enjoy it. Yeah, I think they've got the balance really good. There's Obviously, we're going to dig through the pilot episode as we go, so there's maybe a couple of areas we'll pick up on, but... By and large, like you say, I think it's it's noticeable that it's written for a different audience, but that doesn't alienate an older audience. No, which, like, it's a very difficult balancing act to do. Is that, like, I've seen a lot of online comparisons to uh, The Clone Wars yeah. and Bad Batch, but they were actually pushing the envelope of what you could get away with with PG. Yeah, they certainly were. But this is, but this is actually aimed at even younger than PG. Yeah, I mean, in the certainly in like the later seasons of Clone Wars, some of the early ones, yeah. I think were they had the moments where it was more even more kidified than than this. But but yeah, by and large, I mean, I think particularly with like the Bad Batch and stuff that that just feels like. It's aimed at adults, never mind um, yeah. <laughs> kids, but... Mind you, to be fair, um, a lot of the audience of The Clone Wars are now Bad Batch. There would have been kids when it came out, and they've grown up now. Well, absolutely, yeah. <coughs> and I think, though, that's probably a good place for us to, to start, is the, the Star Wars comparison. Like, a lot of people... Not just because of the the Clone Wars, like the animation style, it's it's not it's not as stylized. I don't think as the Clone Wars, but a CG animated sci-fi show is gonna is gonna yeah. reference that. And there's a lot, I think, in this episode that's got a very Star Wars vibe to there's it. A, there's a few things that have. Yeah, know? and I think it's it's deliberate and it's inevitable in a way because. What this is showing us is it's it's the first Star Trek show where our main cast are not a Starfleet crew. And for 90% of this episode, they're not even on a, a Starfleet ship. So yeah. that is going to be different. And it's it's a part of the galaxy. I know we've been in the Delta Quadrant 
And I suppose if you look at Voyager, we've seen like prisons and there was Tom and Harry always seem to get locked up every so yeah, often. Yeah, they got in a couple of prisons. The whole crew got captured a few times. Yeah, so we have seen things like this and the, this idea of the that there's a seedy underbelly to the Star Trek universe, which yeah, obviously Star Wars well, did that a lot more. And well, we know that um, the Delta Quadrant is a lot more unruly than what we're used to with the Alpha and Beta Quadrant. With, yeah, uh, right. norm, with what we normally see. Even the Gamma and, Quadrant. And even, and even then with the Delta Quadrant, what we did see, we saw it very much from a Starfleet perspective. Yeah, and we saw it just passing through. We didn't have a lot of time to get to yeah. know these different civilizations and see how they function and everything. But, like, if you look at some of particularly the more recent stuff like we we we've recorded an episode that's not on the pod feed yet but where we talked about the end of enterprise and they went back to rigel and rigel was always a bit of a sort of seedy kind of world where you've got out outlaws and you've got yeah. traders and things like that and we've seen that a few times and then Obviously, in Discovery, we've got in the future that there was very much that sort of outlaw town vibe to the early episodes yeah, of Discovery. Yeah, like the Federation. Without the Federation, <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah, and I think this is this is playing on that, but it is something we're not mega, mega familiar with in the Star Trek universe, and it does feel more like the Star Wars universe to an extent because... Star Wars, we've always had that. You know, it's the Moss Eisley Cantina, it's yeah. Jabba the Hutt, and there's always been a much, much stronger focus on that. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we're doing this in Star Trek. I well, know some people felt it wasn't Star Trek-y enough, particularly in the, the first sort of movement of this episode. Uh, part one, like... Um... I was trying to work it out, and I think part one ends where they um, have found the uh, star, mm. but they say that they need an engineer. And yeah. I, and, and I think that's where part one ends. Yeah, I think it's... I thought it was when Zero turns up and says, yeah. like, you know, we, uh, what do we need to do, or some, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's some t somewhere around there. It's around there. Yeah, so that, that first half is very much on this this prison. Well, from all the trailers, we speculated, we said we thought it was like a mining colony, and it kind of is, but the on-screen text tells us straight away this is a prison colony. Well, I, I don't think it's even a prison. I think it's a slave colony. Yeah, yeah. I, I got the vibe that, because um, when we saw, I assume it's a Catian that uh, young catty and that the case yeah. brings in, like that's she's obviously not a prisoner with a rage. That's someone who's been abducted, yeah, and brought there and sold to them to it's, work. That's like you say, like a, a a prisoner implies that you're in prison for a crime that you've committed. Yeah. Whereas, like you said, this the, more like this seems more like a slave outpost. And I've got a like it has been going around. I've seen a few people say it on the. Um, this last week, um, that these could be sort of like the children of the caretakers mm. 
people caretakers brought over because we know he'd been bringing ships from all over. Yeah, we do. And that would explain why we've got so many species that we're familiar with. Yeah, because like we've got a the, like it's a case on that comes in. And we know that sort of by what end of season two, they've passed by, they've gone past case on mm. space. To be fair, though, we don't really know where in the Delta Quadrant this is set. It could yeah, be back like, in Kazon space. But you've got to look at it as sort of like, we know that there was a range sort of the Kazon were of, um, they're mm. not technologically advanced. Don't go, like, obviously it's masses of systems, but it isn't huge amounts of space, yeah. like the size of the Federation and, and things. No, that's true, but as I say, geographically, we don't know that we're not in Kazon space here, so well, we, that's, we I'm might I'm thinking be. that we probably are in Kazon space. Yeah. Or, or the borders of Kazon space, and, and it wasn't so much as Kazon space, it was an area of space the Kazon operated within. Yes, true, true, yeah, they've not, they've not got the sort of organisational thing going on, yeah, not yeah, like... They, yeah, they do, there's... Planets that are run by the Kazon. Yeah. But they isn't like they haven't got an empire. Yeah, same case on like, space. It's not like an area that the they operate within. Yeah, it's it's not the same as when you say Kazon space, it's not the same as saying Klingon space or Romulan yeah. space, absolutely. Um so let, let's have a look then at the as we start to get to meet the characters. So we start off with Dal, who's our main character really for this episode. And we, there seems to be a bit of a mystery about what is his species. Like, that's not yeah, uh, disclosed. Well, this is another reason I think it could be coming from the caretaker. Because, mm. like, we know the caretaker was grabbing some from the Alpha Quadrant. Mm -hmm. But he's probably grabbing from all over the place, the Gamma Quadrant and yeah. other areas of the Delta Quadrant and yes, far up from... Far up of the uh, beta quadrant that we don't see. Mm. So yeah, we can either way. We we know Dal's a species that we've not met, but it seems that he doesn't know what he is either. And this seems like this is going to be yeah. a thread that we're going to get. Um, we do know that he wants to escape, and there's sort of this visual motif that they've got through the episode where you've got characters either looking up at ships or looking at the stars and you see it reflected in their eyes and everything. And I thought, like, yeah, it looks really good. Like, the whole thing looks incredible. Like, CG animated cartoons oh, visual, have come so far. Visually, it's beautiful. Like, even if you compare this to, like, the early seasons of Clone Wars or if you want to go back even further, like, when... Reboot came out and that was like the first CG cartoon for kids and it was horrendous in terms of the animation and just the yeah the degree that we've come well, on now is just is, incredible. This this is better animation than Clone Wars CG animation. This is like it, it is top range yeah top level definitely CGI animation. And then we've got. The the first villain we meet is Dreadnought, who I know you're you're not a, a tabletop gamer, but any anyone who's played Warhammer 40k will recognise this guy as a Necron. 
and this is a Necron. I forget the exact name of the warriors, um, but basically they're exactly like this. Like they've got spidery legs, they've got a robot upper body and everything. And yeah, it's a cool, scary image, but um, they might want to watch the, no, this the copyright. Reminded, it reminded me of General Grievous. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of that going Which on Which a lot well. of people are saying. And, mm. and you get it straight away so, as soon as you see him, like... Yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely an archetype of evil spidery robots um, that we, we see across a lot of science fiction. And Dreadnought, we find out, is looking for Fugitive Zero, who we're told straight away is a Medusa, and we knew that from the pre-publicity and everything. Yeah. Um, but it's a Medusa that they've managed to look cute because it's put together a body for itself and everything, yeah. so it's a cute little <laughs> robot, which is fine. You can see you can see this um, changing through the series as well. Yeah. Because it's a suit that he sort of made himself in this slave colony to operate in, get around in. But now he's got access to other things. There's no reason for him not to upgrade it. That's true, yeah. They're on on a Federation ship, so you know, get the replicator kicked into high gear and see what you can (laughs) you can knock up there. Could could make an exocomp or something. Um, I love the detail with the the universal translators, like the fact that they don't enable translators in the prison, and that's exactly what you do if you were trying to exert control over all these species. You stop yeah. them communicating with each other. So even if they were inclined to try and escape, they're not going to be able to coordinate it. Um, uh, like. I think if you were prisoners, that even if you couldn't understand each other's language straight away, I think you'd learn fairly quickly some yeah. way of communicating. You'd develop each other. something, yeah. But yeah. But you know, don't make it easy for them. So it's a it's a no. good step is turning off the translators. Um it was around this time in the episode then this is one of my and it is a nitpick. Because we do have to bear in mind that this is aimed at a, a younger audience. Dal had a lot of, like, quips and things, like when they're escaping, he says, oh, don't let it get any worse, and then he says, oh, it's worse. And I get that he's, you know, trying to be quippy and trying to be cool and everything. I just personally found it a little bit grating. I felt like it were trying a bit too hard to get that across. But Well, these are the parts where I think you can really see that it's aimed at a younger audience. That's it, yeah, as a kid, I'd have loved it. Yeah, these are the parts that, yet, as an adult, we're looking at this and thinking, you don't need to be saying that, it's a bit obvious, but no, this is written for a younger audience, that's why he's saying these things, and and we've got to enjoy it for what it is, and there's some of it that might be a bit OTT, and I'm sure over time it'll find its balance. Let's not forget, this is only episode one and two. No, Absolutely. (laughs) No, as I say, as a as a pilot episode, we have seen a lot worse from Star Trek. Oh, without <laughs> question, yeah, absolutely. That's one thing with the the modern Star Treks is they they seem to be getting good at doing opening episodes now. Yeah, because they really struggled with that back in the day. Um, but yeah, so Dal's quipping. I get it. I get why it's there. I get what it's doing. It'll appeal to its audience, but I think that's probably one area where 
some adults it might not work for, but like you say, yeah. it's it's part of the form. It is what it is. Um, there is quite a cool. You know, you do get a cool attempted escape sequence and everything, and that there's a lovely shot where. He tries to launch the vehicle, whatever it is, up into space, and you can see it getting closer <laughs> yeah. and closer to the atmosphere and not quite making it there, but visually it's it's brilliant. Yeah. And then we yeah, get... trying to escape in a, in a truck. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, you got to work with what you've got, haven't you, you know? Um, th- yeah. then Then we get all the stuff with the Ks on, like you say, and... We get a lot of background here. Like they've brought they've brought orphans from all over the well, the quadrant. We'll assume they say orphans and they yeah, say this criminals. This is what makes me think the case that it's the offspring of like crews that have been brought over by the caretaker. Yeah, it and makes that sense. Case on case on operated territory. Mm. Yeah, it would make I mean, sense if some that's of these the case. Have probably, been, have probably been killed by them. The, yeah. the ship's taken and the kids have been sold into <laughs> slavery. Yeah, so like, like you say, we've got, on one hand, there's criminals. So the Kazon might be going round to planets that are overpopulated, can't do anything with the criminal population and saying, I can take them to a prison world. That's fine. But then the other hand of it is, yeah, often kids, mm, you are pretty much just enslaving children there for a slave yeah, labour force. So. Where we even get Gwen with this, don't we? And she says to the Kazon, if you ever bring yeah. one this young again, you, you'll be staying here. Yeah, so there's an interesting thing there, because obviously her dad, who we only know as the diviner so far, Obviously, he's not got a problem with this because he even reprimands her for saying that. Yeah. And it, this sort of father-daughter relationship, it it seems almost like he's testing her a little bit and giving a little bits of responsibility here and there. Like, we find out that um, Dreadnought could be translating everything, but instead they're getting Gwyn to do it. Yeah, and she has a knack for... For languages. Yeah. Which is... It's good that we're drawing these, like, abilities that each character has got. And we're establishing that quite early on. So we we know that Gwyn's going to be the, the language person. And obviously we get the engineer and whatnot later on. Um, the Diviner, then. So we first meet Diviner. And th- this is where we go all Star Wars. I mean... He's in this big tank. He's floating around. It, it's very Darth Vader. It's very yeah. the bit where the Admiral goes to see Darth Vader. He's in his little chamber. And also in Rogue One, where they go see him and he's floating around in a Bacta tank. Yeah. So I, I feel like it must be deliberate. There's no way you put this in a sci-fi show and don't think, <laughs> oh, hang on a second, well, this is I'm, a bit Darth like- Vader. Like people, like you can see it as, but like, I think you could probably look at anything and now that's made and go, that's referencing that, that's referencing that to an example. It's like when they're saying we're looking for um, Fugitive Zero, straight away I thought of Doctor Who in the first episode of uh, the Matt Smith era. Oh, yeah. Fugitive Zero. Yeah, yeah. 
no, that's a fair point. No, exactly, but I think there's there's some that are more obvious than others. Yeah. And I, I think the Darth Vader imagery here, because it's all the thing that he's in is all orange and everything, and it looks like Mustafar, the you know the planet where yeah. Darth Vader apparently lives and has a castle in Rogue One, but <laughs> um, which Lego will sell you a castle, you know, and you can buy that even though it's we've never seen it before. But never mind. So yeah, you know. Again, if you're going to do a villain, there's worse ones to to rip off than Darth Vader. Yeah, you've, but... like, you've got to make them. If you sat around a table as writers and you're thinking, right, we need an, a, a villain that, to a young audience, is immediately recognisable as being a baddie and a proper baddie, evil baddie. Mm-hmm. And that's half the, pro- half the problem. Yeah, and let's not kid ourselves either that... The job of any TV programme ultimately is to make some money. And this one has been set out. We want to get a younger audience into Star Trek. We know that the younger audience is already into Star Wars. So let's lean on that a little bit and put a bit of that in. And that'll get us young audience on side. So I have no problem with Star Trek uh, borrowing from Star Wars. Because George Lucas has been in interviews. Oh, yeah. And, and quite honestly said that he he went from Star Trek very heavily when he wrote Star Wars. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, if you do a dissection of Star Wars, it's there's there's barely an original idea in there with all the... But what, what he well, did was yeah. he, he remixed but, it and did it in a way that was brilliant. So, you know, I'm not going to take that yeah, away from it. Yeah, uh, and this is what happens with... There probably isn't an original idea to be had anymore with no. some of these. Absolutely. Uh, like, there probably there obviously is original ideas, but there's very few and far between. Everything... Cop- Everything borrows from each other and yes, references each other. And like you said, that you know, the, there's a reason they're doing this. It's it is to get yeah. as many people on board. And despite and toys, well, yeah, the, <laughs> oh, the toys will be cool for this. Um, which coming next year, I think Playmates have got the rights back to Star Trek action figures, so we're probably going to get a load of Star Trek action figures next year. Which <laughs> I'm up for that. They did recently. They did McFarlane toys of them, which McFarlane are known for doing really nice, really detailed toys. And the Star Trek ones were decent, but they weren't up to the quality of some of McFarlane's other stuff. So I'll be interested to see what the next lot's like anyway. Yeah, I can see um, Murph being a big... Oh, Murph, yeah. big, big toy. Yes, definitely. I can see that that rivaling Baby Yoda... Yeah, Murph definitely. What's the the word? The oh, it's, it's going back to Star Wars again. One of George Lucas's words is toyetic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Murph's very toyetic. So, but you know, despite the Darth Vader comparisons, I think we are obviously going to develop the Diviner, and we're going to find out what his actual game is, what he's up to. And I'm sure he will come out as his own individual character as we as we crack on. And he obviously knows about the Federation as well because we've got him. He's saying, you know, I don't want Gwyn to know about the Federation. I don't want that yeah, impacting I don't want to their thinking. To them. Yeah, which is 
that's really interesting that he obviously knows what the Federation's ideals are and I wonder if could he know them because he's been in contact with Voyager at some point or the Equinox even? Voyager, the Equinox, um, the, the, like there's obviously been a number of other ships I've, that have gone through to the Delta yeah. Quadrant. There, um, there's probably a whole list that we've not seen on screen yeah. of ships that have gone missing, Yeah, presumed destroyed in X, Y, or Z that have actually... Va- the caretaker's sucked up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see a bit more about what he knows about the Federation and why he doesn't like it. I mean, we can we can infer from the fact that he's running a, a slave-slash-prison colony. Yeah, I can see why someone like that wouldn't like the Federation, because yeah. that, that's not yeah, going to... Yeah, I don't think Federation ideals would actually fit in very well there. No, so I can <laughs> see that. And he obviously wants to keep his daughter within his world, and if she gets well, these that's ideas... Sort of, that's mentioned, isn't it, that they're the last two of the species. Ah, I missed that. Right. Yeah, I've seen that. I'm not sure if I've seen it referenced online, or... I think it might be referenced online, but mm. they're meant to be the last two of the species. Right. And then we, we start to get the characters coming together then. So Dal's in a prison cell. He speaks to someone that we later find out is Zero and then goes to speak to Gwyn. And this was something I thought wasn't necessarily that clear in the episode is how well did Dal and Gwyn know each other? Because this scene, it looks like they're aware of each other, but there isn't necessarily um, a fondness or even a friendship there. But then later scenes, like when he's out on the mining outside, it's clear that they do know each other quite well to the point that they have these back-and-forth conversations with each other. Yeah, like... (laughs) I think he. I think he's got memory. I like you. Don't know how long he's been in this slave colony. But no. You get the impression he's probably been there quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And he knows his way around because that's implied, isn't it? That oh, you yeah. need to get yourself get yourself there. You'll find a way. So it's he knows his way around. So you've got to assume he's been there a long time. But he also knows what outside of this prison colony yeah. like he has memories of it and wants to get back and she and Gwen and Gwen hasn't been off this colony no that's made very she doesn't clear know what the, she doesn't know what the stars are like or yeah and there's all like he says to her repeatedly like you've always wanted to see the stars so there even there's obviously a background between these yeah. characters I just don't think necessarily the way the episode's structured that that comes across in the way you would expect it to. Like, later on, when she's speaking to him over the intercom thing, I'm like, oh, they're, they're actually good mates, right? I didn't yeah. I didn't get the feel oh, maybe, for that well, earlier. I, I've never got... I wasn't sure if I got the thing that they were mates, but I got the impression that they talked to each other. Yeah. So. I think it's just... Yeah, it just feels like there's more of a familiarity than we're led to believe, and it, it just seems strange how... It's structured. Well, that we, we could have dropped a bit well, more she, of that in she's earlier. Obviously, she's obviously a young girl herself. Yeah. So she's probably, as she's developing, looking for people to talk to. Yeah. And finding it very hard. And if he'll talk to her. Yeah. He might not consider her a friend. 
but she might consider him a friend. That's true. Yeah, I mean... Because I... it's that, pris- it's that prisoner... Guard sort of captain yeah. sort of relationship they've got, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I do accept it. It's just... I, I just thought it was structured a little bit weirdly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when they send him down to deep coal mining, then, there's a lovely detail that... This is what I think you can do, with, even with a show aimed at kids, is... You've got the bit where it's got these little safety videos and it's saying, you know, you fall off, you're dead. You do this, you're dead. And then it it shows, look, you need these ankle handcuffs, yeah, we're chaining, basically. we're chaining you together in a chain gang. Yeah. It's for your own protection, that, honestly. That's the thing. It's It shows, oh, it's for your own protection. And I could imagine a kid watching it and accepting that. But as an adult, you watch it and go... Well, wait a minute. If one of them falls, they're going to pull the other one over. Well, but, I, yeah, I was thinking, like, that ends up... Um, with rock talk. Rock talk. Yeah. If if Dal falls over a cliff edge, fine. But if rock talk goes over, he ain't got yeah. a chance he's going. That's <laughs> it. But the video makes it look like, oh, as long as you chain together, you're fine if one of you falls. Yeah. And I think there's, <coughs> I think there's a deliberate irony there. For the adults yeah. to pick up and go, right, I, I can see that. But it's also, you've been, yeah, you're also being told, yeah, it's okay to be in a chain gang. Yeah, chain this, is, <laughs> this is the captors bullshitting them and we can pick up on that. Kids might not. So I think that's yeah. really well done. And I, I like Rock Tack. Rock Tack's very um, toyetic as well. Yeah, you know? like, I like, the, like, the thing I liked with Rock Tack was how... It's the really gravelly, yeah, fierce sort of growls and all that until the translator comes on. Yeah, and that's a brilliant that reveal. That was a great way of. Yeah, that's what. This is how the. She actually sounds really, but when it goes through the translator, it takes into account her age and everything, which yeah. I thought was really clever. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really frightening to everybody else, but then it's actually. She's actually really friendly. So, yeah, that, that's really well done. And they get to the ship, obviously. The translator kicks in, and that gives these characters an advantage over everyone else on the colony now because they can actually speak to each other and they can actually coordinate a little bit. I think the ship looks great. Um, in terms of, like, the exterior design, it's obviously heavily influenced by Voyager, but it also looks a little bit sleeker, a little bit more modern. There's almost like a yeah. Kelvin universe influence, particularly to the nacelles. Kelvin universe within the cells, how thick the cells are. Mm. Which I don't mind it having the thickness cells, because I think Discovery's thin, long cells were getting a bit s- silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got the two extremes there, really, haven't yeah. we? <laughs> and again... I'm sure people will complain and say, you know, this is the Prime Universe, it's not the Kelvin. Oh, there'll, there'll be theories saying, oh, this proves it's in the Kelvin Universe, so it don't count. Well, I'm people sure. are saying that with the music and all that. All the music sounds like JJ's films. and Yeah, I'm like, sure. I, like, I thought you could hear a bit of all the different... I thought so, yeah. ...different things, and I thought it was sort of like, no, it's all, I think... I thought the music did a really good job of saying it's all Star Trek. Yeah. And th- this is the thing, like, <clears throat> what you've got to remember as well is this is an animation and it's stylized. So 
the ship might look like it's got really thick nacelles, but if we saw that ship in live action, it might not look exactly like that. You know, this is yeah. just a different presentation. Like, people yeah, well, don't look like um, they're doing lower decks, you know? If round two get the act together, we could see a protostar on the shelves in oh, um, maybe 12 months. I'm absolutely... They were, they were pretty good with the Discovery in the Shenzo and yeah. the Disco prize they had out, all within... 12 months. So. Um, Eagle Moss have got a Cerritos that's just gone on gone on pre-order <laughs> now. So, yeah, they're definitely all catching up. Um, then, yeah, so, like you said, this is probably whereabouts we get the the break if we were splitting this down into two episodes. It's, it's most likely around here somewhere. Yeah, um, I'm sure once it goes on to... Nickelodeon or whatever, that you'll be able to see it as episode. Yeah, when they start repeating it daily or whatever. But, like it is it is definitely down that um tomorrow's episode is episode three. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely. Uh but it works as one segment, I think. Yeah, it, it does it it's seamless. Yeah. You can you can tell where it is. And half of that is by looking at the timestamp. Yes, I did. When I, when I saw the bit where Zero turns up and yeah. I thought, hmm, yeah, and I checked in. It was about 22 minutes, so yeah. We get a bit of a flashback to Zero then, and this is quite dark, really, that they they used Zero as a, a weapon, effectively. Yeah, I, I thought it was nice that um, Zero was in the uh, same case yeah. that we'd seen in... Oh, what's the TOS episode? The is there in truth no beauty? Is it? That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I thought that was really nice. That it was the same style case. Yeah, so that was yeah, really branding. good, really good callback. And also, we've got one of Mon's species there as well. Yeah, which is a victim of this. So that again adds credence to the idea that are these are these. People who were brought by the caretaker, or are they children of the people who were brought by the caretaker? Yeah. Or is there something, something else entirely going on? I mean, well, it could be like I've got a theory with the protostar because, like, you got the I, you got the impression that the crew wasn't lost from the protostar. The protostar was sent without a crew. Yeah. And I wonder if it's been sent to try find sort of missing Federation citizens. Yeah, it could be. Because the way the Janeway hologram talks is as if they were expecting someone not of the Federation to find it. Yeah. So it'll definitely be interesting. And I saw an interview with the, the writers of it and they said, you know, obviously that, the mystery of where the ship came from is the big mystery for the first season. So you're gonna, we're gonna yeah. get answers to it, just not necessarily immediately. Um, there's a nice bit where Zero's saying, "Oh, you need forty people, or depending on how many appendages you've got, you need thirty-seven appendages." <laughs> Which makes now, you wonder. That, so that implies that. Um... Zero knows of um, sentient beings with 37 appendages. Yeah. And it also, because it's uh, an odd number, it means that somebody's not having to use both hands on 
on one of the stations somewhere. Somebody's getting away with just pressing whoever's, one whoever's button. Whoever's using the joystick. Ah, there you go. You're right. Yeah. Riker could have got away with it. Exactly. Yeah. One-handed. Or Ransom. Or Ransom, yeah. It's not just the Riker stick anymore, Not anymore, it? no. no he's, there you go. <coughs> they took it away from him. <laughs> yeah, he's one thing that he had. Bless him. And then they need the engineer, so we get Jank and Pog, who we, we did meet earlier in the episode. But just before we get into like what we think of Jank and Pog and everything, just visually, Jank and Pog looks like Bebop from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before he got mutated. Yeah. He's got the little tuft of sort of purpley hair and the glasses are exactly the same. <laughs> and then obviously Bebop gets turned into a, a wild boar, mutated with a wild boar anyway. And uh, oh, what is it? Um, I've forgotten the name of the species for a second to tell her right. Then they've got a, a piggy kind of look to them. So yeah. I, I feel like somebody must be a fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who's worked on the animation oh. here. I, and I have no problem. I, I recognise him as a Tellarite. And yes, recognised Everyone recognised him as a Tellarite when we first got the... when we saw the first um, shots before yeah. they even released any info. Everyone recognised him as a Tellarite. So if he looks like Bebop from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, maybe that's been stolen from Tellarites. <laughs> it could have been, yeah. I'd never thought of it, <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> it could also be that Nickelodeon owns Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you know, yeah. if we're if we're talking about being toyetic again, they've already got a mould for the Bebop yeah. toy, so you don't there have you to go. make too many changes <laughs> to make a jank and pog. <coughs> and we we get that scene with Gwyn where she's showing the little cat baby all the different languages and how uh, yeah. how to work it out. Um, so. Yeah, and she said that when you understand the species language, you understand how they think, which is makes a lot of sense. That's been referenced in other Star Trek shows. Yes, definitely, and also um, the film Arrival from a couple of years ago yeah. really played with that concept. I won't go into any spoilers on it, but if you've not seen Arrival, check that out. That's a brilliant film, uh, but that really digs into that idea. Um I do feel a bit bad for the cat baby that she ends up left on the planet when they go. Yeah, I thought the cat baby was sort of like going to be a surprise of a, of a character. Yeah. Because it'd be very easy with all the publicity stuff and all that not to have shown yeah, us yeah. a character. Maybe it's we need to leave a character there that we care about because she's cute and she's a baby, so we know that she's she's vulnerable and everything. So maybe, maybe we need a character to, even though our main cast are leaving this planet for now, maybe we need someone to keep our interest so that when maybe they... maybe maybe it's an opening for a future episode where Gwen insists that they go back. Yeah, and save her. when they come back and save her, it'll be a a good um, like. Yeah crowd-pleasing moments, and maybe that's why we're doing it. Um, Dal's decided that he's the captain then. There's a bit where Jack and Pog's doing all the work and Dal's, like, just leaning back in the chair and supervising. Yeah. 
But then they do kind of turn that on its head later on where they say, well, what what do you do? And he says, oh, I thought I was the captain. You know, he's almost like <laughs> disappointed, like, why can't I be the captain? <coughs> and then we get introduced to Murph. So Rock turns up with Murph. And like you said, Murph, I think, is going to be very popular. Makes yeah. funny noises. And you could you could probably sell... Like, that slime's very in at the minute as a kid's toy. So, I mean, it's yeah, never really been no out. Slime. But, but, yeah, you could you could get a Murph in a little a little bucket. You just need to... I can see that, definitely. And then Gwyn turns up with the baddies and the exile dowel to the surface, but the surface is called the Outer Rim. Which is yeah. another Star Wars thing. Like, the outer rim of the galaxy is a big... So, that again, that's got to be deliberate. Like, yeah, there are words that we use in sci-fi and they, they crop up and depending on which franchise you're in, they have slightly different different meanings. Like, the, the replicants that are mentioned in Blade Runner are not the same as the replicants that are mentioned in... There's a DS9 episode where, where they... And they're not the same as the... Uh, well, the replicators that we have in yeah. Stargate aren't the same as the replicators we have in Star Trek. Exactly. So, Outer Rim, again, it's a it, it's a very well-known Star Wars phrase, so I'm sure they must have been conscious of it when they put that in. It feels more like a wink to it than anything else there. And this is when you get that bit where Dal's talking to Gwyn and everything, and he escapes again and leads all the baddies back to back to zero. I just wondered if is this maybe a little bit too much like do, do we need to go through him getting captured, put up there, escaping again? It feels like maybe we could have condensed this a little bit. Yeah, and and it does seem like we find out that Gwen's actually on orchestrated his escape. Yeah. But it's been purely to track him down, knowing what he, that, that he'd run back. Yeah. But it jumps very quickly from him sort of like escaping to being back on the protostar. Yeah, it does. There's like, there's a jump there. Yeah, and it, it just feels a little bit, a little bit bitty in terms of, yeah, right, the yeah, there, the, the there, the there. there. There could have been another way, a, quick, a better way to get him going back to the protostar. Yeah, and it, it it just feels like... So in, in the course of... I know technically it's two episodes, but to all intents and purposes, in in the course of one episode, we've had Dal getting caught, escaping, or he starts off with a big escape attempt, then he gets caught, gets then caught. he speaks to Gwyn, he gets sent back, he gets caught again, he gets sent somewhere else, and it's... Okay, are we, are we maybe doing that a little bit too much? Yeah. It's not a deal breaker for me. It just feels a little bit a yeah, little I, bit redundant. Like, I think this is probably the one part of the episode like it looks quite cool and like when he's panicking like people never come back from being sent outside mm. and all that to the surface. Like you can see the panicking in, but the pacing of it's wrong. It just seemed yeah. off. It we, seemed off. Bit, this one bit, just this one little bit of it seemed off. Yeah, we don't sort of sit with it <laughs> long enough. 
to like the, the like you say they talk about it's dangerous no you know people never come back and all this but we don't really get to see that because it's that quick yeah it's over with so fast so it it negates a bit of that it's like oh it's that dangerous is it that he, he just gets away fair enough um but having said that, it leads us to where we start wrapping up and we get some great action and everything. There's a really nice bit where Dal's trying to send a message to Zero and Zero says, oh, he's, he's trying to encourage it by using his face. Yeah, yeah, he, he's sending me a telepathic message, but I don't like his plan, so I'm ignoring him. <laughs> yeah, and he's giving it all this, like, yeah. So that's really good fun. And then they get into a big fight and everything, and Gwyn has this... It almost looks like a tattoo on her arm, but it's not. It sort of morphs down into a weapon. And then when she's fighting yeah. and she needs to change hands, it, it sort of rolls back up and goes down the other arm and stuff. That's a pretty cool weapon. I'm I'm happy with that. That's Again, that's quite toyetic. Yeah. You could get I don't, a, mind, I don't mind this... Yeah, I don't mind these where thing like where they're gonna have metal changing shapes. I've no problem with that. Maybe it's You've the, seen that in look like it's very Terminator 2 in. Oh yeah. Maybe it's the start well, of programmable I, I matter. I haven't a problem with it. No. Well that's it. We've, this could be where they discover like, programmable we'll talk about matter. Nano, nanobots and oh yeah and stuff, so No, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty it, is it toyetic though? Because we can't make metal that changes its shape, so we're not going to be able to make a Gwyn sword that can do that. Yeah, but they're probably going to be able to make an arm an arm bracelet for kids that'll have an extending sword in it. Yep, yep, fair enough. Yep, you're right. So let, let's yeah, I see. I can see the toy makers being able to do something with that. And the cosplayers will have a really good time with it as well, so <laughs> I'm sure we'll see some Gwyn arm things. Let us know if you if you think you can make a Gwyn arm sword. We want we want to see your best efforts and everything. <laughs> so let us know how you get on with that. Um, there's a lovely shot where the ship comes through the waterfall. Yeah, and it's... you get you you get a really sort of. Um, sort of heroic scene where the ship comes through and every, all the other prisoners are cheering and she, everything. Yeah, cheering because, like, Dal's on the outside trying to fix the shield yes. at this time. Yeah, because it can, if he... They don't need a captain in the chair at this point, but they do need yeah. someone to go and... Um, yeah, like, Zero's been able to work out some of the controls. Like, I, I don't even know... I think Zero's a child as well, yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I, I, I don't think any of them are adults in this crew. No, it doesn't seem that way, and that that would be in keeping with the vibe that they're going for and everything. Yeah, and, and that'd explain why Zero Zero's obviously an intelligent species. Yeah, and all that, but doesn't know how to operate this machinery. Yeah, exactly, and I wondered if. Murph, is this how we solve the problem of not having 37 appendages? Because Murph can sort of blob over everything. And <laughs> well, that's what he does. They go press every button he is, and he just 
<laughs> yeah, so there you go. We don't need 37 appendages <coughs> if if we've got a Murph who can just cover a lot of ground in one go. Yeah. And then... Well, like, like, we get the whole thing, don't we, with Dal on the outside of the ship. Um, like, if this was for adults, I'd go, no way, but this is made for kids, yeah. so I'm going to... I'm gonna suspend reality, like when the ship's spinning round and all yeah. that, and Dal's on the outside of it still. <laughs> and it's it's one of those you can get away with it in animation. Um, yeah, it'd it'd look like you say quite unbelievable if we'd if we'd done this in live action. So yeah, uh, and I think I think we'd even sort of not go along with it in uh, lower decks either. Yeah. To this extent, but as this is, as we've got, be, as we're in the mindset, this is a kids' show. Yeah. You can suspend belief that little bit more. You can, and I mean, to the extent that I didn't even think of that until you just said it. Now, you know, I just yeah. accepted like, we it. We do get some of it where he's almost where he's thrown to the sides and all that, but we get a lot of it where. No, you'd be thrown off this spaceship. Yeah. If you've got nothing to hold you on. <laughs> Yeah, yes, he's not even got, like, <laughs> magnet boots. He's not got magnetic boots yeah. or anything. Um, the shields, then, when he gets the shields to kick in, this this is a little bit different how we usually see shields in Star Trek because up until now it's always been a bubble round the ship, like a an, an ovoid bubble. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's it seems to just hug the ship. It only seems to cover... The like the extremities of the ship, like we see a bit where um, the baddie bounces off the nacelles yeah. and the shield's just covering the nacelle. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool, actually. You know, I don't. Yeah, I, I liked it. I don't have a problem with it. It makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on it, though, see if they, they do well, the extending the shield trick in future, because well, that might be hard. Well, like, here's the chance that they've like, only just got the shields on, so they're maybe just at minimum. Yeah. It's lucky, though, that it gave a couple of foot so that the shield didn't come on but, and cut Dal in half. But if, well, that was very lucky, like, how high it yeah. threw off the deck. It was, but it was enough to throw a... What was his name? Knockoff or something. Yeah. I've got it in my notes. Dreadnock. Dreadnock. Yeah. Yeah, it was enough to throw him off, but not enough to yeah. cut Dal in half. Yeah, which is, you know, a bit of luck, a bit of luck. Maybe he's from a, a lucky species. <coughs> and, yeah, obviously, like we said, they leave the cat baby, but hopefully we're going to come back and rescue her at some like, point. We do get the nice part where... We need to find uh, find the torpedoes, find the phasers, or something to get us out of here. Yeah. Find the pew pew pew. The pew pew pew. <laughs> Which yeah, like, we... I re- I like the phasers on on the protostar. Yeah. And this is showing a bit of a um, step up from Voyager, and that period costs like we had the next gen Enterprise, Enterprise D, Voyager, and the Enterprise E had their phaser strips. Mm. So there'd be a huge long phaser strip and it'd fire from any one point on it. Yeah. But this seems to have a lot of different of uh, phaser turrets right. on the strip. So so it can fire in multiple directions from that strip at once. Right. Instead of just one 
one blast. So. so that probably tells us it's it's going to be quite a handy ship. Then it's obviously built for a bit of. Well, I mean, I like. Well, it's five years after Voyager. It's so it's after the Dominion War as well, and they've probably thought, yeah, these phaser strips are great that they can bang a big power punch out. But when you've got lots of craft coming at you from various directions, yeah, only being able to fire at once is one direction at a time isn't great. No, and that's it. And because it this me- thing seems to have shots going out all over the place at the same time. Yeah, I mean that that does make sense. That like this was built by a post Dominion War, post Second Borg Invasion Federation, yeah. so they probably do want the ships to be a little bit handier. Um, and then, obviously, we get the reveal of Janeway. Now, I do think it was a good idea to do this episode and save Janeway for the end, because it's... It, it was perfect. It's given us because a chance to get to know these characters before... Yeah, it's given us a chance to get to know the characters. It's given us a chance to see that the characters are capable... Mm. To an extent, and could get out of a situation without Janeway being there yeah. to, to do it or help her guide them. Yeah, that's it. We just we Janeway, she can she can come in now and mould them, but we've seen that the yeah. the potential's already there with all of them. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I thought I thought like when we got Janeway, I thought great, and then it was oh, it's just about to end. <laughs> yeah, and then I thought, actually, that's perfect. Yeah, it is to bring her in earlier in the in the story, and it's a great hook for next week because it's like, right, well, next week we we're gonna get to we're see Janeway properly, but we already know these characters, um, so I think that's gonna be really, really, really good. Um, then. That's not quite the end because we do get this stinger scene where the bad guys come out of his Darth Vader tank now and it looks like he's going to be stepping it up. He wants to get the ship back. And yeah, we know that, that my ship. that's what he's been looking for on this planet. So he's been mining all this stuff, which we've got to assume this is valuable in some way. You know, he's, Well, there's obviously a value there because... When we saw Dal, when they first found the protostar, he was getting round it, and he had the, all these all these crystals. Yeah, Gwen went. That's enough to buy yourself a ticket exactly. onto the Kazon yeah. ship, and buy they, yourself off the off. Yeah, and they pay the Kazon with it, so that that's obviously, you know, the, there's a benefit. In whatever, the, whatever the crystal is, it's obviously got a value. Yeah, so that there's a benefit. It's probably dilithium. Voyage would have loved to find the found <laughs> Yes. <planet>. <laughs> And, yeah, you know, uh, well, I suppose in a thousand years this planet won't look so good after the burn and everything, yeah. <laughs> but we don't have to worry about that just yet. But, yeah, the, the, there would obviously be a benefit in mining this planet anyway, but his actual agenda is to find the ship, and yeah. now that's gone. So we've set up what the main conflict, presumably, of the season is going to be, that we've got this guy who's go- he's going to be chasing them, We've got the the connection, obviously, Gwyn's his daughter, so there's going to be there's some potential yeah, like, drama like there. Like, Gwyn hasn't gone... Gwyn has gone as a prisoner. She's tied up at, at this point still, at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. So, but, yeah. 
you saw I got the impression with Gwen that she's yet yeah, she she's his daughter. Yes, she was helping run the prison. But you can see that she has a longing to be out there and yeah. not be doing what and I don't think she's actually happy. I think she's doing as much as she's got to do on the planet. Yeah, it? and she's clearly is a it? more compassionate character than he is. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how she develops and how she fits in with the rest of them. So the end then, we've got a lot of interesting character dynamics set up. We've got the promise of more Janeway next week, maybe find out a bit about the ship, how it got there. We've got a bad guy set up. So it's done a lot of good work for a pilot episode. Yeah. Let, I just hope it doesn't do a Voyager and we forget about all of it next week. But Oh, I think they've learned the lesson. I think they have, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like, there's obviously going to be an ongoing story. And I wonder if they're going to follow that um, sort of Clone Wars format where mm. three or four episodes are a story arc. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Like, there's going to be an, on, an ongoing... There's going to be an overall story, but mm -hmm. that you, could, you could probably sit down and watch an episode on its own, which you can with the Clone Wars. Yeah. But there's also... If you watch four of them together, it works better. Yeah. And then if you watch the whole season, it works even yeah. better, but you can watch them all. And if you get that right, that'll be... I'm sure that's probably what they're going for, but we'll we'll get a much better idea of that next week with... Um, ep well, we'll call it episode three since... Um, yeah, it this is, is one it's and definitely two. down as being episode three. <laughs> and this is also released as being parts one and two. Yeah. So we'll we'll cover that next week. We'll also carry on with the Dominion War. Going back to that, we've had a bit of a break from it while we did lower decks. Yeah, we've got um, yeah, we've got two episodes. Well, we've got two weeks, haven't we? Where it's Prodigy, and we're going to do a Dominion War. Yeah, so we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks. We're going to cover Improbable Cause and the Dies Cast, the season three two parter. So that's going to be good fun, and we'll continue covering Prodigy until we hit Discovery, and then we're going to be having some bumper episodes where we talk about Prodigy and Discovery. <laughs> so that's going to Do be you great fun. Do new shows a week? Exactly. We haven't seen and this that, since... Like, did that happen during Voyager and DS9? Though? Yeah, Voyager and DS9 crossed over for a while, so we're talking yeah. a lot of years since we've, we've had this going on. So, yeah, that's going to be and, fun. And, and good news... We didn't have Chakotay in the first two episodes no, at no, all. No, so IMDb... So that means IMDb was wrong. It's not in all ten. Nope. So hopefully... I've, I've heard rumours that he's only going to be in episode five. Right, I'm happy with that. If he's just in one of them, that's absolutely so, fine. So my theory still could help hold true that he's responsible for you losing the Proto Star. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> So, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, then let us know what you thought about Prodigy. Uh, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod. You can email us, RetrekPod at gmail.com, or you can come and join us on the Facebook group. And thanks for trekking with us this time. We will see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye.